Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 171 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, I'm talking to a science communicator, birder, and self-proclaimed professional nerd about a little bird with the loftiest ambitions. We talk about competitive birding, planetariums, and what it's like to eat, sleep, and bathe entirely mid-air. Just the Zoo of Us presents Chimney Swifts with Ralph Crew. Ellen Weatherford. I'm here with Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast. And this week, I'm very excited to speak with a brand new friend. This is Ralph Crew. Say hi, Ralph. Hi, Ralph. <laughs> oh, geez. I'm sorry. I feel. Am I? That's I not feel good. betrayed. Yeah. No. Was... You come onto my podcast. <laughs> you speak to me in this manner. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Yes. Hello. I'm Ralph. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here, Ralph. What are your pronouns, real quick? Him, uh, he, yes. Thank you so much. Yes, you're welcome. Today, we're talking about a fascinating, peculiar little bird that I, you, listening, we've all probably seen and just didn't necessarily notice, but we should because there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on with them. But before we get into this cool bird, I'd love to get to know you a little bit. Ralph, can you let our friends listening know uh, what got you into birds? Oh, well, that's a great question. Uh, So I am, I often just characterize myself as a professional nerd. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have a day job at a software company, but I spent about 10 years working at a science center, among other things, helped run a planetarium there. I'm also a competitive bird watcher. And this is interesting to me because this does not (laughs) at all strike me as an activity that can be competitivized. Oh, it is deeply competitive. Uh, (laughs) I'm not that good at it, uh, but I'm getting there. I got into it years ago. I was a student. I was a biology student at the University of Pittsburgh, which is where I live. And um, I did some field work actually studying herpetology, so uh, reptiles and amphibians. Not a terribly far cry away from birds. No, and actually, really, birds are reptiles when you think about Derived it. Derived uh, reptiles. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> reptiles are only a clade if you include the birds. But um, yeah, so I got really into this sort of idea of going around in the wilderness in my area and identifying all these things. I, I could identify all the amphibians and reptiles of the state, which was really exciting. However... For something to do just for fun on your own, we call it herping. It's not an ideal activity because you it's sort of impactful on the environment. You know, you shouldn't be flipping over logs and rocks mm. and stuff all the time. Like that's it's a lot of disturbing. It's a little disturbing, right? If you're doing it for science, then that's that's more acceptable. So if I wanted to scratch that itch on my own as a normal human, birding was an amazing choice. And I had a friend who worked with me at the at the science center that I worked at at that time who competed in this birding cup. And he knew I was sort of, I would ask him about birds a lot. And I'm a very sort of curious person. So yeah, one day he said, you know, one of our teammates had to drop out. Do you want to join our team for the birding cup? And I immediately said yes, uh, even though I'm (laughs) deeply underqualified at this point. Um, A ringer, baby. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and then, uh, you know, I've been doing it for about 10 years now. And uh, birding has been unbelievably satisfying. 
for me. And it, it's just a brilliant way to, to observe a lot of local wildlife. There's more diversity, I think, than most people realize. Like in my state, in Pennsylvania, we have about 300 species of birds throughout the year that, that come through here. And that there are states, like I know you're in Florida, which has even more. I think it's like over 500 there, which is remarkable. It's a lot of diversity, a lot of cool stuff to see. It's approximately 1 billion a million species billion. of birds. Yes, it's so many. If you want it, we got it. We're bird central over here. Before we move on from competitive birding, because I have... So many questions about just like competitive birding as like a compound noun. Like those two words don't seem like they belong together. So just at least just so I have an idea of how this works. How do you (laughs) score birding? Do you get a do you get a score or like a rank? Mm -hmm. So the competition that I compete in is called the Birding Cup, and it is at a nature center and raptor rehab uh, center called Shavers Creek, which is part of Penn State in central Pennsylvania. And the Birding Cup is actually, it's a fundraiser. So I pay to be a competitive birder, but it, it helps fund this amazing center. And the way it works, you have a team. Our team is usually four or five people, uh, and you have 24 hours in which to uh, to observe as many unique species of birds as possible. So that your score is how many species did you see? And uh, we actually, we did win it once. No big deal. <gasps> a little flex. Yeah. Just a, was, just a minor flex. It was remarkable. We, uh, we, we had an actual ringer on that team. We, we literally had a professional birder on our team. <laughs> but yeah, we got 146 unique species in 24 hours. Like combined for all of you? Well, so we all have to, at least 75% of the team has to see or hear the bird. So we actually, there were a couple that we missed where only one or two of us saw it and then it was, it flew and we just never saw it again. Oh. So you don't get every single, it's, you've got to verify it. And because it's a fundraiser, it's mostly honor system. Uh, I was going to ask if this is like an honor system yeah, thing. right. Like, couldn't you just <laughs> say? Yeah. You're all like communicating in a little secret chat. Like, okay, everybody put down that you saw it. Yeah, right. No, um, if you do declare that you've seen something really, really weird, they will ask you to provide like a photograph. And you, and the art, we, we have at least one person who's carrying a big camera on our team. Uh, if you if you get to know bird nerds, they're also often camera nerds. Um, <laughs> it goes well together. But it's also like there's no cash prize. And w- what a weird thing to cheat at. Like, I feel like it's, it's an honor system. And most birders are pretty, we don't want to misidentify things. Right. Or, or, and, and we also, we are, and this is so cool. It's, we, we record all our data as, as part of a citizen science program that I encourage everybody to participate in anytime called eBird, where you can just sort of report bird sightings. So we report all our sightings on the Birding Cup. And so like we, we are motivated to give as accurate information as possible. I mean, I guess it's technically possible someone could <laughs> cheat, uh, but I really don't think that they do that. It's just kind of a general be cool understanding. Yeah, be cool. Come on. It's a birding competition. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's one thing that does happen that you have to be wary of. And we almost recorded an error once uh, is at night we do owling, right? So like, oh. and to do that, that's with your ears and we, and you're not allowed to use technology, but we, you can use your voice. So we, we will you know, physically call owls to see if we can get an owl to call back. And then we can be like, oh, we heard a great horned owl or a barred owl or something like that. But the problem is that you're out in the woods and there are other teams there too. I was going to wonder if maybe... <laughs> <laughs> like, that's like, so weird. Everybody oh, I heard said a barred they... owl. No, wait, that's Greg. <laughs> it's like, 
like everybody suddenly says they heard them in the exact same spot at the same time. Like, hold on a second. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's it's a delight. It's actually, it's one of the coolest things I do. It's it's also, it's intense. Like 24 hours is a long time to be burned. We sleep for maybe two hours, like on somebody's living room floor. And then and we're out. Goodness. And uh, we're just moving and birding and birding and birding. And it's really remarkable. And it, it was after the bir- the first time I did the birding cup is when I lost the ability to turn it off. I uh, <laughs> I am always birding now. Anytime I see a bird, I'm always like, oh, look, there's a, you know, even if it's something simple like a starling or a pigeon, like I always like look at it. And mm-hmm. But it has made my life a lot richer, right? There's a ton of bird diversity around me. And I really enjoy getting to go and, and see it everywhere I go. It also gives you an excuse to just like get out and see a new cool place in nature, right? Oh, yeah. Because like it gives you kind of a reason to maybe go check out a national park you haven't been to yet or something like that. Like you can see a lot more of the world just by having like a, a reason to go. Yeah, absolutely. And if, for me, it's also, honestly, it's a little like therapy, right? So mm-hmm. I'm a busy person and I have life things going on. And birding is one of those places where I can be on a walk in a beautiful uh, wilderness area, and I'm very observant, right? My eyes are wide open, my ears are wide open, I'm quiet, and I'm paying attention to what's going on around me so intensely that I'm not thinking about my job or my house or what I'm having for dinner or, like, why does my ankle hurt or whatever, right? Like, I'm, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just in that moment, and that is really, really satisfying and pleasing. And, like, the birds have their own little lives and their own little problems that they don't care about my problems. It <laughs> helps give me some perspective. And I find it to be very soothing. Um, and it's one of the only hobbies I have also that is is fairly healthy. <laughs> <laughs> you go on long hikes and that's that's not bad. No, it's blissful. And, you know, also I think satisfies like, I think it encourages some like intellectual curiosity too, right? For sure. It, and it- you got to learn more about like the bird and its context in the ecosystem and its behavior so that you know where to find it. So I think it really just like stokes the coals of like curiosity a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it also it's like almost like real life Pokemon, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you want to see all the like at this point when I hear that there's a rare bird in my area, like and I do, I get alerts with <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear about it? Like, I go find, like, oh, I've never got, like, a painted bunting that normally in the Rocky Mountains somehow ended up in Pennsylvania. Like, I can, I got to go get it. I got to go find it. And even though, like, I'm going to, what that means is I'm going to go look at it with binoculars if I'm lucky, maybe take a picture. But still, it's really satisfying. And, like, you get excited. If you see a rare bird, like, that's, it's a really, I don't know, it's 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 addictive in the, in the best way possible. I, I highly recommend it. For sure. Earlier, you mentioned that you had worked um, as an educator in a science museum. Yes. Mentioned that you had worked in a planetarium. I did want to bring a very brief, completely unrelated story, but it is tangentially related in the sense that it was an experience I had at a planetarium doing one of those like planetarium shows where they project all the stars and stuff and then had an announcer, which was... I was that... Well, not at that planetarium. (laughs) It wasn't you. (laughs) (laughs) Was it me? No. So something like this happening where I took my eight-year-old son to the Museum of Science and History in Jacksonville. 
which is a very fun museum. They have a really cool planetarium there. We went there and we decided to see this show there that was called, I think it was called like the skies over Jacksonville, where they show you this huge projection of all the stars you can see and all everything that you can see over Jacksonville. And they did that really cool thing where they would like zoom in on like, first they would show you like the constellations, but like in a 3d view where you can actually tell that the way that you're looking at them from the ground is not really the way that they're laid out in the Mm -hmm. sky, right? Like they could be way farther away or way closer to each other than they look, but (laughs) they pulled up the projection of all the constellations you can see like around our night sky. And they're like slowly rotating. They're doing like a time lapse where you can see the the constellations rotating over the, the dome of the planetarium. And they pull up a thing where they have labels for some of the major constellations, especially like the Zodiac constellations. And then some of the more like, recognizable ones in the show like Ursa Major, Orion, stuff like that. Sure. And this one slowly rotates into view that's kind of at the bottom of the screen so you can't see it that well and it was never mentioned by the planetarium announcer probably for good reason which I now know this constellation to be called Bootes. Yes. With a little umlaut over the O so that it's Boootes. Yeah. It was not written with an umlaut over the O. I'd never heard of this constellation before. So you just see at the bottom of the screen, this constellation labeled booties. Just like (laughs) slowly rotate into view. And I'm dying laughing. Oh, yeah. I get my eight-year-old's attention. And I'm like, hey, look. (laughs) Booties. (laughs) And he he found that so funny that to this day, every time I talk to him about the museum, he's like, that's where we saw booties. I was like, yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's that's an that is present in the northern hemisphere now. Like you could you could go see the real booties if you wanted to. You could go booty gazing. You could <laughs> You could absolutely do that. That is it's it's a good constellation though. That one. <laughs> we couldn't contain ourselves after that. Every time it was on the screen, we were a menace. We were a complete yeah. menace to this planetarium well, presentation. Planetarium presenters have to deal with the I mean, come on. Like look at the major planets even, right? We have Uranus, which which of course you know everyone goes Uranus, and Uranus isn't that much better anyway. It's got the word urine right in the front of it. That's not what you want. Either way, it's this is a lose lose. It's tough. You're gonna get some laughs, but you go, you roll with it. And you know what? Like uh, astronomy should bring joy, right? Like it should be fun. Like it's not that you know it's not heart surgery. Like let's have fun. With we it. don't have to be stuffy about it. No, I don't think so. I have seen some people try to get around the jokes by like trying to pronounce it like the original, I don't know, Greek pronunciation and yeah. being like, Uranos. Uranos. I'm like, I know what you're trying to do. <laughs> no. no, I think that just, that puts a highlighter on it. That makes it Doesn't even more. It? You get a Streisand effect. <laughs> so orig- actually the guy who discovered it wanted to name it, not Uranus, uh, but he wanted to name it the Georgian Citus, which is Latin for King George's star. Oh, and so okay. I would I would lean into that and I'd be like, well, that name was ridiculous. So everyone else like that, we can't deal with that. We'll call no. it something sensible like Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, this poor planet had no valid name options. <laughs> no, no. But it is an interesting planet. Uh, if you ever do just the planet of us, I guess that's not a very good pun. But it's a good one to cover. If you ever want to talk about it, I could go, go on and on. It's really interesting. It's uh, knocked on its side. So it's like sideways and... Anyway. Yeah, very cool planet. So to bring us back around, today we are talking about a bird, a really cool little bird that we've all probably seen 
just didn't really notice it. And this is the chimney swift. So for people like me who are like, what on earth is this little guy? I would love it if you could introduce us a little bit to our small friend, the chimney swift. For sure. So the chimney swift is one of my favorite birds. They are a, a small bird that in the northern hemisphere summertime, um, and really from sort of spring into, into early fall, they live in eastern North America. So if you spend time anywhere in eastern North America, you'll see tons of them. They're quite plentiful, uh, although unfortunately their numbers are dropping, but there's still, there's still a ton of them. And uh, they are very, very agile flyers. So they're, they're niche. They're almost like daytime bats is one of the ways I like to think about oh, them. They, they sure. eat insects on the wing, so like in midair, which requires them to be extraordinarily agile flyers. And, and they're present in cities. I mean, they call them chimney swifts because they often will roost and, and nest inside chimneys. No surprises there. That's funny because in Florida, a lot of people here don't really have chimneys. <laughs> right. So maybe this is well, why I don't think of them often. So they didn't evolve for chimneys. <laughs> they, <laughs> they've been here longer than we have. You know, they've been around in, in, in a non-human environment. They would tend to live in like hollowed out dead trees and things like that. Oh, we that. got plenty of those. Yeah, you got lots of that. You think when chimney swifts saw humans inventing chimneys, they were like, oh, yeah, it's all coming together now, baby. <laughs> oh, they built a dead tree out of bricks and it's like really tall. Like, it's just I love for that. me. Y'all yes. built, you made this for us? Yes. Oh, my they, gosh. <laughs> they, like, they, they prefer chimneys over their natural habitat. Wouldn't you? I mean, I suppose so. It's probably better weather in yeah, there. Yeah, it's probably like warmer and... Maybe too warm. Sometimes, maybe too warm. One, Yes, one would say. <laughs> it although, gets pretty toasty. Although they are here in the summer, right? So like those chimneys are going to get a lot less action than they would in the winter. True. Like in the winter, they fly down. They live in South America. And one of my favorite things, so one of the reasons that I was really excited to talk about it is their wintertime behavior. So like in the summer, they, they nest here and they fly around in the air, like acting like bats in the daytime. Uh, and they, they essentially never land. They're the most sort of flight adapted bird that I've ever heard of. There are other swifts that are similar to that, but in our area, chimney swifts are it. And uh, in the winter, and I actually learned this, I, I was so thrilled. At one point, I hosted a, a podcast for the science center that I used to work at, and I got to interview this guy, David Sibley, who he's a, like the Jimi Hendrix of <laughs> bird field guides. Uh, <laughs> what a title. <laughs> I mean, he's incredible. He, he um, I interviewed, and he told me this thing that just rocked me. It blew my mind that in the winter, they go to South America, but when people, when ornithologists observe them there, they don't see anywhere near enough of them. They're like, where do they go? There's two, there's a lot of them aren't around. The numbers are not matching up. And they think, and it's really hard to prove this, but they think that it's most likely that they just go up to about 10,000 feet and live there. Just in the sky? Just in the sky. How? Like, they don't... <laughs> I know, right? This like this What are you eating up there? What are you doing? Bugs. There's <laughs> there's bugs all over the place. Little bugs and gnats and things like that end up up there and they 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 eat, they they can sleep while they fly. Hmm. They can do that thing where they like half sleep their brain like dolphins do, you know? And uh so yeah, they can spend essentially months on end just in the sky. Like you know how we have like land animals, right? Mm -hmm. And then they have like ocean like marine animals. Chimney swifts are almost, almost to the point where they're sky animals. <laughs> they're not land animals it's anymore. I mean, all sky all the time, baby. Yeah. I mean, if they didn't have to lay eggs, I think they may not, they may never have landed. That's, see, all they got to do is make a nest in a cloud. 
and then they're yeah. good to go. <laughs> if, they, if Cloud Nest technology comes around, uh, then I think Chimney Swiss, will, we won't see them down here anymore. Don't we have a drone laying around we could just send up real quick to check? <laughs> Be like, let's just zip one of those things up there, see what those Swifts are doing. Like, let's see what they've got going on up there. You know, that's a great idea. And if there are any, like, zoological PhD candidates listening, like, what a cool thesis that would be, right? Send some drones up. Just go check. It's like, I'll just go fly drones in South America in the winter and just look for chimney swifts all day. That sounds awesome. If I won the lottery, I feel like I would be like a scientific patron, like how the Medicis in like ancient Italy were like patrons of the arts and like funded an entire like artistic uh, renaissance. That would be me, but for like funding the dumbest imaginable wildlife research projects. That is now my life goal. I want... (laughs) I... That is the most brilliant idea. I love that. Send some drones up. See if the Swifts are, are just yeah, kicking it Yeah, go find these Swifts. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're remarkable birds, but they're all like, so I didn't know they existed at all until I became like a birder, right? And then you learn how to identify them. Because they never land, like they, they physically can't perch on, like they can't land on a tree branch. They can't walk. They cannot stand up. Uh, their feet are basically like little, almost little Velcro hooks, basically. They can hang on a wall, and they have really stiff tail feathers that their feet will sort of grip onto a wall, and their tail feathers push against it as they lean back, and then they can just hang out like that. They can sleep like that or whatever. And that's it. Like, their feet are not useful for anything other than that. Um, I feel like I've seen a picture hanger that, like, mimics this sort of style. It's like a small <laughs> hook that, like, has a lever that pushes yeah. against the wall. I feel like I've seen a picture hanger like this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like picture hangers, but with wings that eat a lot of bugs. Um, <laughs> It's really neat. So the whole like having reduced feet thing too. their larger group that they are part of that I think is so interesting. Their closest relative is the hummingbirds, which I mean, how cool are hummingbirds? They're, they're amazing. That group of hummingbirds and swifts is known as apodiformes, which is Latin for footless, you know, without foot, like pod as in like podiatrist, right? Apodiformes, the footless. I mean, they do have feet, obviously, but it, both the Swifts and the hummingbirds have such reduced little feet. It's, I don't know, it's so cool. Little vestigial feet. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Their feet are, you know, like, they're still technically there, but it's more just the idea of a foot than an actual foot. <laughs> it's a concept. Yeah. That also blew my mind because they don't look like hummingbirds. They look a lot like, and they act like they fill a similar niche to swallows. So if you've seen, you know, barn swallows or cliff swallows or uh, tree swallows, things like that, which are also common summertime birds in North America, they, they live a very similar lifestyle. They have a very similar flight pattern. They sort of zoom around eating bugs on the wing. And in fact, when I first started birding, I had trouble telling swallows and swifts apart in flight. It takes a little while to get good at that. but it, And so I assumed that the swifts must be closely related to the swallows. Not the case at all. It's never what you think it is. No. It is hubris. Yes. To like look at an animal and think, oh, yeah, I could probably reasonably estimate what that's closest related to. You cannot. <laughs> no, you know, it makes me respect uh, taxonomists a little bit more. That's not an easy job. And like there were a lot like the old school where people just grouped things based on how they looked together. Those old like sort of grades that people used to you know group animals. They're they're pretty wrong. Like it's 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 there's a lot there's a big mess there to untangle. I sometimes find it like more surprising when they're like, yeah, the thing they're related to, they look like it. It's pretty straightforward. That's almost more surprising to me. Yeah, and you're like, right? oh, phew. Is this a trick question? Is this no? This feels like a trap. Feels like this should be way more complicated than it is. 
Hey there, we're going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we're going to give the Chimney Swift some ratings, so stick around. Hey, I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalin. Listen, you like podcasts, right? Sure you do. Don't try and lie to me. You're listening to one right now, so why not try a different one? called R1, The Flophouse. Uh-huh, and on The Flophouse, we watch a movie and talk about it. And then sometimes we also do other stuff. It's all meant to be funny and fun, and we think you'll have a good time. And just to be clear, the name of the podcast is not Our One, The Flophouse. It's just called The Flophouse. <laughs> I do a lot of correcting Dan. The Flophouse, a lot of correcting Dan. Hey, it's John Moe, inviting you to listen to Depression Mode with John Moe where I talk about mental health and the lives we live with all kinds of people. Famous writers. David Sedaris, welcome to Depression Mode. Thanks so much for having me. Movie stars. Jamie Lee Curtis, welcome to Depression Mode. I am happy to be here. Musicians. I am in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm talking to Amy Mann. Great to talk to you. And song exploders. Rishikesh Hirway, welcome to Depression Mode. Thanks so much for having me. Everyone's opening up on Depression Mode on Maximum Fun. Okay, so since we're talking about these really interesting ways that the Chimney Swift is adapted to some very fascinating like lifestyles, I suppose, if this is your first time ever listening to this podcast, what we do is we rate animals out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. So the first category is effectiveness. This is physical adaptations. So things that the animal has built into their body or changed about their body in some way that let them do a good job of the things they're trying to do. Eat bug. Mm. Step one, eat bug. Or things that may let them not become prey themselves. What do you give the Chimney Swift out of 10 for effectiveness? So I, I spent a while thinking about this. Um, it's, <laughs> you know, it's it's hard to be really, you know, dispassionate about that. I love these birds and I can't help it. I'm going to give them a nine. Okay. I have to give them a nine. So Solid. not a full on 10. I did dock a point from them, but just one. And the reasons are, I mean, firstly, they're brilliant brilliant flyers like all birds are pretty good at well most birds are pretty good <laughs> at flying i felt you think about penguins for a second yeah. and be yeah. like no you know what <laughs> well, I, mean, I still have love for penguins they they're also very effective in their own way they are but in terms of in terms of flight the chimney swift is is about as good as it gets right i mean they can fly for for months or i mean really if they didn't need to breed and they weren't doing huge migratory flights they could probably just completely live in the air you know it, <laughs> and most birds flying is such an energetically expensive activity that they they uh, they avoid it actually right. you, know, you know even like typical backyard birds that you see you know you'll see a robin maybe in your backyard trying to eat some worms and they hop around like they could fly from worm to worm but they often just sort of hop to save energy but the swifts are so idealized for flight that that is the way for them to to get around that is they're more effective at flight than essentially any other vertebrates that i can think of so that first of all is that that gives them high ranks for me they are profoundly good at eating insects they have a really wide gape so they, oh. they they're a pretty small little bird but if you look at their beak 
the sort of corners of their mouth go pretty far back, which means that they can very briefly open their mouth very, very wide while they're flying. So much more so than like you think of like sparrows and other birds that you might be familiar with. The gape on a chimney swift is much, much larger. Uh, Almost not quite to the point, but almost like the night jars. If you're familiar with night hawks or whippoorwills, things like that, they have a really big mouth. (laughs) And so like that, that is an adaptation for their niche. That is their I think better adapted than similar competitors like the swallows. Like the swallows don't have that same kind of beak bill adaptation. I'm looking at a picture and it's very funny that you mentioned how big their mouth is when it's open because when it's closed, it it's looks so tiny. tiny. It's uh, itty bitty. <laughs> yeah. So the actual, the, the, the part of their bill that like protrudes past their face feathers is small. It looks like a little, little dot. But it goes back like the corn, like it's so hard to describe in an audio (laughs) format. The corners of the mouth of this bird go farther back than you'd expect. Yeah, they're like way back up near the eyes, it looks like. Yeah, they are um, not quite as extreme, but like you may have seen their South American birds like Putus or frog mouths. (laughs) Those are goofy looking guys. Yeah. And those are actually somewhat related to the the apodiformes, the the swifts and the hummingbirds. Are cl- their next closest group is mm. the night jars and things like that. So yeah, they have this mouth anatomy that allows them to open their mouth really wide while they're flying and eat well. Turns them into a little bug net. Yeah, they are <laughs> devastating. If you're a small insect, a chimney swift is the most terrifying thing in the world. You know, like insects adapted flight so that they could escape predation. Right, and and now chimney swifts are specialized <laughs> in flying insects. They said, "Oh no, you don't <laughs> yeah, get back if here." <laughs> if you're an insect and you want to avoid a swift eating you, your best bet is to just hit the deck. You, you like don't stay in the air. You're not going to beat a chimney swift at flying. They're also unlike a lot of birds. They're adapted to humans, right? So many animals have struggled as our numbers, of course, have exploded over the last several hundred years, and we've really impacted the environment. Chimney swifts even though they're so specialized already, they were able to find a niche that they could fit in. Like that is now in their name. Uh, <laughs> like they are, they, they live in chimneys. They they take advantage of human made structures and that, you know, gives them an evolutionary advantage. So I find that to be highly effective and in a way that very few, I mean, most animals didn't do better when people showed up. They might figure it out on the fly, but like. Right, like you got pigeons and raccoons and stuff, but you know, for the most part, uh, but no, I did dock a point. And okay, that let's is, hear it. Uh, well, because they're not they're not doing as well as they used to. Uh, a lot oh. of people don't chimneys. Like seriously, the prevalence of chimneys is less than it used to be. Like a lot of people cap chimneys, or most people don't use big fireplaces, even in cold regions like where I live. You know, we just I use a furnace that has like a pipe that is the chimney, and like that's not an option for habitation anymore. And then, uh, so there's a little bit of, of urban habitat loss that's happened. That's something you don't normally hear about urban habitat loss. I know, right? Like it feels weird, but it's like, usually we, the other way around. Like it's the lack of certain human structures, and you actually you may see in certain like Audubon uh, areas and things like that, people will build little chimneys that are just a chimney, not attached to anything just for chimney swifts, which is adorable. Um, We have a few of those around here in Pittsburgh. A decoy chimney. (laughs) Yeah, a decoy chimney. It's like, yeah, it feels like a chimney. It's not a chimney, but they don't need to know that. I have to wonder if if their proclivity towards chimneys is dangerous, right? Like, that's where fire goes and smoke. It's it's dangerous. <laughs> right. It feels like that maybe like building your house in a fireplace isn't the best idea. You might die, right? <laughs> the thing is with chimney swifts, when it is fireplace time, 
They are in South America living in the sky. They bounce. They're not here, right? They don't have to worry about that. Brilliant. Um, All bases covered. But the, but the other thing is their numbers are dropping also because indirectly because the, the numbers of insects have dropped tr- mm. dramatically, right? And that's their main food source. So uh, if the numbers of insects get cut down uh, badly, so do the swifts. So so the only uh, I've talked them, but that's uh, you can't really blame the swift for that. It's not their fault. So I've only I, that's why I, I give them a solid nine. That's still excellent. I did want to ask, are there things that eat them? Sure, there are things that eat them, uh, but if they catch them, I suppose. No, yeah, no, no, no. That's a good point, and that's something I, I I wanted to mention too that I almost forgot. Yeah, so they are one of the benefits of being a permanent flyer is that you know it's hard for a cat to sneak up on you, right? Like it's cat would need a jetpack, right? So a lot of predators that are uh, predators for other small songbirds never get a shot at a chimney swift. Now that's not to say that none do. Uh, there are some birds that eat other birds, right? In my area, you very occasionally you might see something like a Cooper's hawk uh, or a sharp-shinned hawk or maybe even a, a peregrine falcon or a merlin might go after a chimney swift. However, if you're bird-eating hawk or falcon, uh, chimney swift is not your ideal meal, right? They're fairly small. There are much bigger, tastier birds in the area. And they're great flyers. Like, you still have to catch them, and that's not that's not easy. But it does happen. But in general, they are... I mean, one of the great adaptations of being brilliant at flying is that uh, it's hard to sneak up on you. That is an excellent defensive maneuver. Just like, I ain't coming down. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Sorry, it's spooky down there, and I'm not going to be there. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. You got lots of monsters and creepy things that are trying to eat me. So I don't think I will, actually. I think I'm going to hang tight up here in the sky. Well, okay, so... The next category that we rate animals on is ingenuity. So this is behavioral adaptations. These are things that the animal is doing to like maybe solve problems that it faces or like navigate their world. What do you give chimney swifts out of 10 for ingenuity? So this one I did not hold back. I gave them a straight up 10. Really? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) First of all, their whole flight strategy is absolutely ingenious, right? Like it's, there are so many problems on the ground. Mm -hmm. As someone who lives on the ground, I can tell you. It sucks down here. It's rough down here. You know, there's lots of issues down here. They don't have to face because they are an air animal. Like it's still like, like I have to like, build this new category in my head because like i do think you know when i think of life on earth i divide it into terrestrial animals and marine or aquatic animals things like that and like the swifts are neither of those really they are air they are air (laughs) animals and that's i think um ingenious and one of the ways that they do that is that they can sleep while they fly and like that what a strategy to be able to do that like there's nothing that i ever do in my life that i like when I'm sleeping, I'm bad at things, basically, <laughs> is where I'm going. And uh, But the swift is able to sleep while they fly. They're also, however, they're, they're actually pretty brilliant little architects. Really? You never see them because they're inside of chimneys, but they do build nests, right? So, like, you can't just lay an egg in a chimney because it just <laughs> falls down into the fireplace, and that's not <laughs> ideal. No. I mean, it's going to be great for the people down at the bottom who now have a free egg. Right. No, I mean, breakfast, you know, there although you that's a small, a chimney swift omelet would be... Uh, <laughs> you, it wouldn't be very filling, I don't think. It's a think. snack, an appetizer. It's just a little, just a little guy. So no, they build these nests, but they have to affix them to, they build a cup style nest, but it's a half cup on the wall of a chimney. And they build it with tiny twigs and their own spit. So the swifts are one of those birds who their spit is like glue. And they can mm. sort of, it, it's kind of gross, but like they, <laughs> but it's ingenious. 
they they sort of glue twigs together onto the wall and slowly build this cup, but they can't land, right? Like, how are they getting these twigs? Oh, true. They have to, on the wing, fly by a tree <laughs> and take off a tiny little twig from the end of a branch while flying. And that's just like... Incredible aim. Yeah. And it, <laughs> what like what amazing behavior. What, what a thing to see. You know, like see a bird just fly by a tree and just like, bing, just take a little... It reminds me of this video game called Raft. Have you ever heard of this game? I have not heard of Raft, no. It is a video game where the whole game is that you start off on a raft, adrift at sea. Okay. (laughs) And it's endless ocean as far as the eye can see. And debris is floating by your raft that are like pieces of wood, pieces of plastic, things like that. And you have to catch them, like pick them up out of the water and then build things with them and like craft and eventually like expand your raft, make it bigger, do things like build. Like you, you end up with like structures and like a really advanced like operation. People build like cruise liners basically on this game where if you play it long enough, you can build some really impressive things. But like the idea of the, of the chimney swift having to like do a flyby (laughs) to like gather crafting materials is like, that's, you can make a whole game of that. Yeah. I think a Chimney Swift game would be actually brilliant. If I ever learn how to do game design. like Because like, they do all sorts of cool stuff. Like They have to solve these problems without being able to walk or stand or stop. Like, you know, they can't. They're not hummingbirds, right? They don't hover. Like, they're moving. It's, life is coming at them pretty fast. It sounds stressful. I don't think I envy this life. <laughs> well, but they have... They're into it, I think. You know, <laughs> it's like you know how some people are introverted and they don't like going to parties, and then some people like that gives them energy, right? Like the Swift gets energized by this frenetic lifestyle. They're thrill seekers. I hope so. <laughs> Adrenaline junkies all the way. Yeah, it reminds me of that movie. Um, what's that movie? Drive, where like the bus will explode if it goes below a certain speed. Oh, Speed! Speed, speed is the movie. Yes, Speed is the movie. <laughs> I feel like that that feeling of like frantically having to keep moving. They have to keep moving. Yeah. Otherwise, they will explode. <laughs> um, although, I mean, really, though, if they do, if you ever find a chimney swift on the ground, like they're in trouble. Um, it's one of the only birds I would ever say that you could consider maybe approaching. I mean, if, if, unless you know what you're doing, you really shouldn't approach wildlife, period. Like, it's not a good idea. But if you did know what you were doing and you found a chimney swift on the ground, like they can't take off like mm. that. Oh, like at all? No, they have to sort of jump into the air from the side of a vertical surface. So if you, you know, if there's one on the ground, it's probably had something unfortunate happen. Uh, It might need wildlife rehab attention, which you should always contact a professional. Uh, But I have heard cases where occasionally somebody who does know the bird well will sort of just pick it up and like hook it onto the wall and it'll just sort of sit there and then it can fly away. Oh, interesting. You know, you mentioned earlier that they're kind of like daytime bats. And I feel like a lot of the things come back to like the bat lifestyle, right? Like not being able to take off off the ground, Mm -hmm. having to kind of like get a little bit of a running start, (laughs) having to kind of drop down out of the air for it. Yeah. I mean, like the way they kind of like, it doesn't look like it, but in a way they're sort of hanging from the wall. Like also, unlike most birds, all of their toes are on like sort of the front part of their foot. They don't have like a back foot Mm. claw to hook around like to perch on something it's just sort of just a hook basically four little hooks that are are next to each other that sort of clip on to the roughness of a chimney or the inside of a tree 
I was, I did pull up like, you know, Google images of these birds and the pictures of them hanging onto the sides of things. I do think that if I got just like a quick glance at one of these, I would probably assume it was a bat because it has that like the hooks, the little hook claws look like the little thumbs of a bat hanging on to like, it's interesting, like convergent evolution, I think that like they're so similar in like form and function. Well, in North America, in the summertime, when they are breeding and roosting, the, like you'll see them flying around, and often they sort of congregate in the evening, just as the bats are on their way out. So I have accidentally misidentified a, a chimney swift as a bat before. Like they have, mm. they fly very, and they even sound alike. Really? Which the, so the, <laughs> the chimney swifts do not do um, echolocation, so they're not like bats in that sense, uh, or at least not yet. Who knows? Evolution. Chimney Swifts have been putting the pedal to the metal on evolution, and I think they might get there someday. <laughs> Speed run. But they have this really high-pitched, chittering, sort of almost bat-like chatter that they make all the time. So, yeah, they're very batty. With respect, you know what I mean? <laughs> so if you're a bug, you're, like, spending the whole day stressed out about these Chimney Swifts. Like, I gotta stay low, because these Chimney Swifts are coming for me. <laughs> the day comes to an end. The sun sets. You're like, phew, the chimney swifts are going to bed. I'm finally safe. Here come the bats, baby. Here come the bats. <laughs> There's just no rest. Being an insect is not, it doesn't look like fun. Yeah. There's always. This has to be a rough life. There's no apex predator insect, right? They're all, they are never very high in the food chain. But that's why they have to make so many of themselves. Like, that's why they have to make so many. Because they're like, well, most of you are going to get picked off pretty much immediately. So. <laughs> So have fun, I guess. <laughs> Hope some of you make it because it is round the clock stress. <laughs> it is round the clock stress. Yeah, no, they sort of almost like it's like a shift change. Like the 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 swifts are heading into the cave and the bats are heading out. <laughs> you think that the when the swifts wake up in the morning, they're like, "Who closed last night?" <laughs> right. No, I wonder if that uh, the, like they pass a bat on the way out in the morning. Like, hey, how was the night shift? Like, oh, you know, <laughs> ate a couple hundred insects. That's sweet. Um, <laughs> Another thing, though, in terms of ingenuity, I wanted to talk about the way they keep clean. Oh, so bird feathers only work when they're relatively clean and and well kept. And that makes sense. They don't want to be a nasty boy. No. So they bathe by slapping water surfaces. They'll like fly over like a a river or a pond or a lake and just sort of smack the water, bounce (laughs) off of it and then like sort of shake around and like they bathe while flying. Is this like a belly flop? Yeah, and a backflop sometimes, too. Huh. They can't even stop for that. They cannot even be bothered no. to stop for a quick bath. <laughs> no, they, they bathe while driving, basically. A drive through shower. Everything's moving. Everything's going. And and one of, the last thing I wanted to mention for Ingenuity, which I guess they didn't like come up with this, but it's still something that I think is worth mentioning. They And this is also the case with hummingbirds. They have an extremely short humerus so like if you think of your arm bones right like the upper arm is the humerus and you have the radius and ulna in the lower part and in bird wings are the same like there's they're, they're very similar you know vertebrate limbs are like that and uh their their humerus is so small it's almost like a joint bone it's barely mm. there so the rest so a nub basically it's like they have like a double shoulder almost right so oh. like their their shoulder and their elbow are like right next to each other and that allows their wings this kind of flexibility and movement that that essentially almost no other birds have the hummingbirds have it too and that's mm. about it and so like they they just they just brilliantly adapted the, the it's i find the chimney swift to be a most ingenious bird which 
for me, earns them a 10. I mean, like, what, <laughs> what else could they do? I mean, it's so amazing. Are these the ones that will, like, fly in big flocks? So I've actually, I've had this discussion a few times with, with some friends. A lot of, I, I'm, I'm the bird guy in my group of friends, <laughs> you know. Every group of friends needs one. No, it's fun to be the bird guy. If I you don't have it. a bird guy, you're the bird guy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so no, you're probably thinking of starlings that fly that's in these. What it these is. Starlings fly in big groups that look almost like schools of fish. Uh, mm -hmm. It's called a murmuration. And it's beautiful. Unfortunately, starlings in North America at least are an introduced species. So I feel sort of mixed feelings about it because, like, you know, they've had a not all positive impact. But then again, the individual starlings, it's not their fault. So, right. uh, you know, I try to enjoy them as much as I can. <laughs> now, there is group behavior you'll see l around occasionally, like very large chimneys. Like sometimes you'll see around like schools or factories or things like that, huge chimneys. And at night or right at sunset, you'll see a chimney swift tornado where sometimes several thousand swifts will be circling around. It, and it looks like a tornado of swift bodies as they as they're all spiraling and dropping into this chimney for the night. And so it's while it's not like a murmuration like you see with starlings, it is like large group behavior that is striking. You, it's it's actually usually pretty easy to figure out where where this happened because it happens in urban areas and lots of times your local bird nerds will know where to go. Like, hey, you want to go see a chimney swift tornado? Go down the street here at about 7.45 and right before <laughs> sunset, you'll see, you know, like 10,000 swifts fly into this giant chimney. And it's remarkable. I've actually been lucky enough to see it a few times in my area. And uh, it's overwhelming. It's beautiful. It's it's right. really remarkable. Is it noisy? Do they make a lot of noise yes, when they're doing this? they do. <laughs> but it's not like, a. it's like this high-pitched, like chittering little, like, mm. I, I mean, I can't, I, I will not try to <laughs> mimic the vocalization. There are <laughs> recordings of it out there, though. And uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of chittering. They seem really busy when they're doing this. I would love to see that. I bet I, I bet I can track somebody down who can give me some pointers and tell me where to where to go find one because I'd love to see it. The last category that we rate animals on is aesthetics, which is just how nice this animal is to look at. I could I could see this one going either way. So mm -hmm. uh, I got to know where what do you give the chimney swift out of 10 for aesthetics? So I, you know, I love this bird. I'm mm -hmm. a little bit I'm I'm probably going to be more generous than some. I'm going to give it an 8. Okay. So, you know, not a full on 10. There are there are prettier birds out there. But getting there. But pretty good. Sometimes people call them a flying cigar. They have a really <laughs> cool sort of streamlined body. It is kind of like torpedo shaped. This like that. torpedo shaped bird with these beautiful long wings. Um, they're really aerodynamic. They do have those weird feet. I mean, it's a really cool adaptation. But is it a great aesthetic? Oh, I don't know. I've seen more handsome bird feet out there than the chimney swift. Uh, and also because of that whole humorous thing, they can, they don't really fold their wings in the same way that normal birds do. So like when they are perched on the side of a chimney, their wings almost look like they're tacked on. Like they're like, they're not folded <laughs> up neatly. They're just sort of like hanging there. And it's just, uh, it, it looks a little accidental. You know what I mean? <laughs> I guess for them, that's not a position they're going to be finding themselves in terribly often. Yeah, that's not, they don't do that very often. Um, so that's not that big deal. But the real reason why I, I docked them a little bit um, isn't, it's because you actually, as a birder, you almost never get, you don't get a good look at them. You can't. Right. So most of the birds that I get to observe, I can like find them in the, spend at least a minute with my binoculars out and get a good look and observe their plumage and their behavior and, and their aesthetics, right? But with, with chimney swifts, they're constantly moving and they're in flight all the time and they're usually fairly high up. So 
Is it the bane of your existence as a bird? Well, so I recently made a video that involved some chimney swifts, and so and I I I really struggled. I couldn't find any like royalty free or stock video of chimney swifts that I thought was good. So I was like, I'll just go out. Like they live in my neighborhood. I see them every night. I'll just go outside with my camera and try and take a video of them. How hard could it be? Oh, it was humiliating. <laughs> the chimney swift was like making fun of me. Like, go on, go on, take a video. Like, good luck. <laughs> they're, they're they're constantly moving and like they're right there they're, and they're there all the time but you never really get a good look at them so if you can't see it like if a bird is beautiful in the forest but there's no one there to see it is it really beautiful is it really aesthetically <laughs> pleasing no i don't think so i think less but still eight i think it's still, maybe that's high i don't know what do you think i'm curious i think that the sweet adorable little nose is doing a lot for me yes like the very cute little beak is working the the it's funny because the the outstretched wings like you were saying there's not like a lot of separation between like with a lot of other bird wings you can see some of the kind of the clear sections of the wing right and this just looks like one sort of flap <laughs> it's like well, right, it looks, because... you know it looks like a fin it looks like yes. they've got little fins and so that is once you say out loud that they're related to hummingbirds and i look at the wings i'm like i totally see it i see yeah. it in the wings for sure but I don't, I think, I mean, eight seems really fair. I might even go down to a seven because of, you know, you get that sort of like plain brown bird syndrome where like mm, yeah. every little brown bird is difficult to tell from every other little brown bird. So I'm like, am I looking at it? Like, oh. I'm not a great birder. So I'd be looking at it like, I don't know. Is this a finch? Is this a sparrow? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> oh, even if you are, there are whole groups of little brown jobbers. We call them LBJs in the, in the field. <laughs> we really do. And, uh, there's a group called the Empid Flycatchers, and yeah, good luck. You, they're all the same. <laughs> so I definitely wouldn't be able to identify one. Well, they're the only swift in the area. So if you see a swift, it's a chimney swift for sure. I think with the context of knowing, like, I think I could be able to like see what they're doing and mm -hmm. be like, if you understand what their behavior is like, you might be able to like piece together what they are. But just based on looks alone, I don't think I would be able to. Uh... Fair too enough. confidently idea but i do think the little face is just so cute like that yeah. tiny little beak and it does have kind of a grumpy looking face too yeah that i find cute because they're so little and i'm like what are you gonna do <laughs> do they look that grumpy when they're in the air you know like because like they're usually if you see a picture that's usually when they're roosting somewhere when they're, and they're like that's like their that's their bed head you know that's... <laughs> they woke up like this yeah, they're like, you know, don't judge them on that. Like, you wait till they're flying around, but good luck getting a good look at one when they are. See, that's the problem is that they're not uh, they're not showing off their best side. That's also one of the cool things about them, though. Like, that's I didn't know they existed when I was a kid. They were here <laughs> in the thousands and they they're they're there every year in the summertime uh, in this part of, of the world. But you just miss them. And once you learn how to identify them, you'll see them like I see them in the summertime literally every day every day at my house i bet now i will like now that i know what to look for i'm gonna start seeing them everywhere yeah now they are migrating now i, I at least in pittsburgh they're more or less gone but they will come back in the springtime i mean once you learn how to identify them nothing else quite flies like them they like with bird identification like plumage and like sort of aesthetic isn't usually the best 
field mark anyway. A lot of times people are like, they worry about individual feather colors and things like that. But so often behavior mm -hmm. is actually the best thing to key in on if you want to identify a species. And chimney swifts have a really unique behavior. You know, swallows can be a little confusing, but swallows do tend to land nearby. And then so if it does that, you know, it's not a swift. <laughs> and once you learn how to identify their behavior, you'll see, you, I guarantee you, you will see them many, many, many times a year. Probably I mean, honestly, I see them every day during the summer <laughs> here at my house. So everybody listening, get out there. Go see if you can find a chimney swift. Maybe catch you a tornado. I'm sure they put on a spectacular <laughs> show. <laughs> they really do. So before we kind of wrap up, I would love if you could let our friends listening know uh, about your YouTube channel and where people can keep up with your work and what you're up to, where you can be found. Sweet. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I make a tiny little YouTube channel called Isn't That Something? <laughs> and uh, it is a channel. So I, you know, I, I spent 10 years working in science communication at, at a science center. And that's something I, I've always enjoyed. And then, you know, the pandemic came around. I ended up moving on with my day job. But I, I, I just couldn't stop making dorky science content. So I started <laughs> doing it on, on the Internet. You cannot put a lid on that no. jar once it's open. Pandora's <laughs> box is open. And it's dorky in there. And... Uh, <laughs> It's a channel where I just go into, but I kept it intentionally really vague so that the title, Isn't That Something, is a phrase my great-grandmother used to say all the time, mm -hmm. like, oh, isn't that something? But it works for almost anything. It's, a, it's really just things that I'm, I find to be curious or interesting, but it's from sort of the point of view of a science communicator nerd. So, for instance, the most recent video I made was a top 10 list with no theme, <laughs> uh, which was fun. And Chimney Swifts made the list. So, um, top 10 vibes. Yeah, there's lots of good stuff on that top 10 list. <laughs> so, yeah, isn't that something you can just find it on YouTube? Um, and uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I also um, work uh, with another YouTuber who has a much larger channel. I work, I'm the script editor for a show called Practical Engineering. So, kind of a different vibe, but uh, Practical Engineering is like civil engineering. Uh, infrastructure stuff like if you find like giant dams or the power grid or concrete or things like that to be fascinating it's a super educational but entertaining fun youtube channel um, that you should definitely check out one last thing i wanted to mention if you ever are in the pittsburgh area i am the co-host of an event called nerd night which is uh it is for it's for grown-ups this one it's an adult night it's at a bar basically but it, you can think of it like a bar version of a ted talk mm -hmm. uh, we get three local nerds to come and do nerdy talks uh for the public it's super fun uh we get a lot of brilliant people getting like and it's amazing how you know some of these these folks, they'll talk about topics that I would never expect to be very interesting. And then it just was like mind-blowingly fascinating and also hilarious because it's, <laughs> it's in a really, it's a casual, fun, it's not a college lecture, right? It's nerd night. So mm -hmm. yeah, those those are some of the things that I'm up to. So yeah, check. And you can find me on like, I guess I'm on like Twitter at Ralph Crew and, uh, and things like that. Amazing. And I'll have links to everything in the episode description. So folks listening can just scroll down and click through and have a have a lovely nerd night out in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Pittsburgh nerds listening. I feel like chimney swifts are a good like example of things that like you might not if you don't know about them, you might not think that it's going to be terribly interesting. And then you give them a shot and you're like, there's right? a lot happening here. <laughs> no, I know. I, I completely obviously I completely agree. Yeah, I think, they're, <laughs> I think they're really fascinating. Actually, so even though I'm so I'm a host of it. So I don't normally do the talks, but um, we had a host had got COVID and had to drop out. So I did a bird 
Uh, it was called Bird Out With Your Nerd Out was the name of my talk. <gasps> I love that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Chimney Swifts made the list of the uh, interesting. I, it was all just on local birds you could see in Pennsylvania. And they made the mm-hmm. list. They, they always make the list. They're amazing. Oh, that's so cool. Well, I appreciate you so much for, for your time and sharing your love for them and, and knowledge about them here with us today. I think everybody should go see if they can find them and have a deeper appreciation for the for the little birds. Not just the big flashy hawks and herons. Show some love to the little guys. Yeah, check out a Swift when you get a chance. <laughs> Give Swift a chance. Yes. Well, thanks, Ralph. It's been a delight, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, friends. I hope this little bat of daylight has built itself a sticky little nest right along the inside wall of your heart. If you liked what you heard today, I hope that you leave behind some kind words for us in a review on your podcast app of choice, like AK.12, who said, love the podcast. I learned a lot about animals. Nira, followed by the number nine, 23 times, who said, it's so reliably fun and interesting. And while it's specifically kid friendly, it's great for adults too. And Mytho Enthusiast, who said, this podcast changed my life and it will forever. I even listen to the podcast when I go to sleep. That's how much I love it. Thank you all for leaving behind such kind words for us. It really means a lot to us to hear from y'all because you are who we do this for. If you want to hang out with us online, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord. Links to everything will be in the episode description below. You can send me an email at ellen at if you have a cool animal that you'd like to hear about. Thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their other wonderful shows, like the ones that you heard promos for earlier. You can check those out, learn more about the network, or how you can support our show over at MaximumFun.org. Finally, we'd like to thank Louis Zong for our incredible theme music. That is all for today. See you next week. Thanks. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.